Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the 2020 season of the Shiny Side Up podcast, dedicated to improved production racing around Australia and hosted by Mick Hazelton and myself, Chris White. This episode was recorded on 22 January 2020. In tonight's episode, we interview Chris Brown of South Australia. Chris talks about his start in IP racing and the build and development journey of his AE86 Sprinter, one of the quickest IP cars in the country. Chris offered some great insights, and we hope you enjoyed the interview as much as we did. Thanks to Chris and to all our listeners out there for your ongoing support. Don't forget to subscribe on Facebook and in your podcast app for future episodes. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Shiny Side Up podcast. I'm your host, Chris White, and with me tonight, Mick Hazelton again. Mick, how are you doing? I'm well, thanks, Chris. Hello, everyone. And Chris Brown joins us tonight. Chris, welcome to the podcast, mate. Yeah, good day, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's Thanks our pleasure. And uh, look, before we get started, as we always do, uh, I'd like to introduce the IP sponsors for New South Wales, Yokohama, Vantage Automotive, Aussie Hire, Faber Competition Parts, Midas, Auto Craze, and Bilstein Suspension. And also the confirmed sponsor for IPRA South Australia, Ty Power Kensington Park. Chris, I understand you've got some new sponsors that are going to be announced in the next week or two? Yeah, definitely. Look, we've got uh, three, definitely, probably four that we'll be locking away in the next week or so, and we'll release, uh, you know, we've got a few financial incentives this year as well from uh, like a Rookie of the Year prize at $500 that some of the guys may have seen already online, um, and there'll actually be uh, $1,000 per round put up as well. In the past, there hasn't really been much up for grabs, so it's just to try and entice people a bit more to get out there and have a crack. Fantastic. Sounds great. Well, look, it sounds like IP South Australia are trying some new things and some sponsors getting behind the club. So uh, looking forward to seeing who those sponsors are and hoping that the IP community can support them. So thank you to those sponsors. Look, before we get started, Mick, I know we were contacted over the last few days by a listener concerning the discussion we had on the motorsport block. Mate, would you like to quickly discuss the issue raised and maybe uh, have a chat about that? Yeah, sure. So when I was discussing the motorsport Ford block and the Boss block, it's got a few different street names, I suppose you want to call it. And I actually got confused in my research that I did because the block in question that might be used in leading touring car racing in Australia called their Ford block the motorsport block, whereas the new Boss 302 block is a Ford performance block. So I, it's not the same block from what I've been told, and there's a few key differences that's easily distinguishable by eyesight from the outside of the block. So if anyone's got any questions, really, they should be going to their EO to find out. We're not a technical source of information, but I do thank the person for giving me a ring because they were concerned that I might have misled some people. And I definitely don't want to make the boss block situation any worse than it has been over the last few months. And yeah, I was just making a point that it is a motorsport ready block in my eyes because it comes with some key features that you would do that are IP legal to another block, any other block that didn't have them. So that was my point I was making around that. And if anyone's, again, if anyone's got any questions, just contact their local EO and they can get some technical documentation sent to them if they need to and they get the answers they want. Yep. I mean, the EO is definitely the best source of truth on uh, anything related to eligibility. So contact your EO if you've got any eligibility questions concerning any specific details of parts and and, and what have you. So um, very good. 
Look, uh, what uh, tonight's all about, of course, is interviewing our guest, Chris Brown. So, Chris, look, welcome again, and thank you for joining us on the podcast. Chris, uh, first question for all our guests. Look, a fantasy IP car, something you'd love to see on track. If, if you had unlimited time, unlimited budget, and you were building a car, and, and you, you might have a couple, building a car for IP, something special, something uh, you think might be really fast, what would it be? Yeah, look, that's a that's a hard one to narrow down to one. But um, there's a I've always grown up being a bit of a obviously car nut, and the Tiranas have been a big one for me. That um, yeah, there's a few of them out there already. Um, the likes of Paul Rule, um, Ian Eldridge here in SA has got an absolutely awesome one. And uh, you know, along that lines, um, that or, or a VK Commodore, I, I think you know, um, Brito's got a pretty nice one. They're, um, that V8 Holden's, you know, pretty close to my heart. I um, might race a Toyota Sprinter, but um, yeah, if the budget was no issue, it'd, it'd probably be a V8. Cool. And what, what would you, what would your philosophy there be in building it? Would you be looking to just maximise power and then make it go around corners as well as it could, or would you be looking to balance it out? How, how would you build the car? Um, look, I really like those. Uh, obviously, there's early and late model. I really like the early model stuff just because it's an absolute handful to drive. Um, <laughs> you know, my car's the same, but I mean, you know, the Tiranas, the VKs, those things, they make plenty of horsepower. They really don't have a tyre good enough to, um, you know, compete with the likes of probably a Cherry or uh, Islop. Um, but, you know, they they just absolutely would be awesome things to drive. Um, so, yeah. Uh, in, in saying that, there's a few other cars out there that, you know, I'd love to see on the grid. Um, the Cosmo, I think, is getting pretty close. I mean, a 20B PP, you know, revving to some stupid amount of revs would be a pretty awesome thing to see out there as well. Um, so iconic. Uh, yeah, It'd be iconic. Yeah. It might be fast, but it'd definitely be iconic and pull people to, to get more interest in IP. So I'm, I'm for that. Vote one, 20B Cosmo. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And um, look, I mean, along the lines of my sprinter as well, that the... the the uh, FT86s, I did see a snippet the other day that they're going to release the turbo version. So hopefully that comes to Oz and then we can run one in IP. So um, I think that'd be an awesome, um, you know, way to get a lot more competitors too because there's a stack of those cars, you know, from the 86 racing category that I think would flip over to IP pretty quickly. It'd make me happy to not have to have so many people hate me for saying that that car's <laughs> terrible for our rules. But, you know, like the car just doesn't suit our rules. That's it's a fantastic platform. There's heaps of them around. And my point is that that would be a good platform if we could turbo it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I just recently went over to Summonest and there was a couple of them there as drift cars. And, um, you know, the guys have stuck LSs in them and, you know, all sorts. It's like, yeah, obviously the standard Subaru motor doesn't quite cut it, but, you you know, you uh, get a hairdryer on them or a decent engine on the bike and they're a bit of a weapon of a thing. Yeah, the chassis is great. It's it's heavy and stiff, you know. It's everything that a bit extra horsepower. You know, it'll be a great rear-wheel drive late model car, which is not many of them around in the light and nimble nimble package. So, yeah, I'm I'm all for it. If if there's a turbo one coming, then that's good for good for our class. Yeah, cool. definitely. We'll see, mate. And uh, look, in terms of cars that are already on track, is there anything out there? Uh, circulating around. If you had an opportunity to drive one other car in IP today, anywhere in Australia, what would it be? Yeah. Oh, look, the obvious choice is, you know, raise Falcon, but in saying that, I think we all know it'd handle well, go like a rocket, do all the right things. Um, for me personally, probably Riddow's VK. Um, I love my VKs as well. I've got one in the garage, like a Blue Mini. 
Um, you know, it's uh, I can't bring myself to race the thing and scratch it, but um, you know, to uh, to have a crack in that thing, it, I think it's a pretty yeah good little jigger. Um, obviously, he's still developing it and getting it faster and faster, but um, yeah, that'd be one I'd love to have a steer off. He'll love to hear that. I know he's um, very close to getting that car uh, ready after. I think he had a bit of a mishap at Clipsal, and uh, that car's nearly ready for to go back on the track. So, Rido, if you're listening, mate, let's hope you get it finished and hope to see you on track this year. So, Chris, tell us a bit about you, who you are, where you're from, and what you do outside of racing. Yep, yep. Um, well, Adelaide born and bred, so, um, yeah, been here all my life, uh, 45, so a couple of girls, a wife, and then two kids for me, a couple of girls. So, um, life's pretty hectic these days um, on the family side of things. I uh, uh, work for uh, New Line on the sales side of things. So I've got a couple of different roles there that I do, but um, that certainly keeps me pretty busy. And, you know, it's been good to get New Line involved a fair bit with the IP side of things over mm-hmm. quite a number of years. You know, everything from local stuff. I know we've even sponsored the New South Wales side before as well. And, yeah, so that's been really good. Um, bring a bit of work into the passion. And, uh, yeah, apart from that, I've just been a – you know, we've had all my life nothing but you know cars and things that go fast, whether it's boats, bikes, whatever it is. It's got an engine. Um, yeah, I'm keen to have a crack at it. Yeah, look, uh, huge thanks to Newland. They're a massive supporter of IP, and um, yeah, credit to yourself for for encouraging them to stay involved in a great category. So, yeah, good stuff, um, mate. Your history in racing. So, have you done any racing outside of IP? When did you get into IP? What, what's your racing history like as a driver? Um, fairly IP orientated, although oh, originally if I go back to first job was actually, um, I was a young fellow, used to play a lot of basketball and then I did a knee and I, um, started playing around with remote control cars and anyway, before you knew it, I worked for a local hobby shop and, and, um, I, uh, raced remote control cars and was Australian champion and off-road two-wheel drive. <laughs> so, um, as soon as I then cool. turned 16, I got rid of all that and decided to get a real car. So, um... Then uh, from there, I was probably misbehaved a fair bit on the streets, which you could get away with back then. And uh, eventually we thought, well, you know, we should have a crack at this racing side of things. Um, went and did drag racing and that was all right for a straight line. But pretty quickly I was like, well, that's it. We don't break or turn or anything else. Um, so we have to break to... at the end. Yeah, well, that's it's pretty right. nasty if you yeah. don't. Yeah, it's a big run off, you know. But the race is over by then. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> hey, I've exactly. got... I've... I've got something else to butt in on. First, yeah. RC cars, very cool, because you get to modify and play and do jumps and you don't hurt yourself, which is good. But Definitely. does Mark Ruder run two-wheel drive short course truck or something now? Yeah, I think he has. Actually, I've got to go catch up with Mark, and um, but I think he is playing with the RC cars. Um, I was going to say, that actually brings me back to a, a pretty cool story of my brush with motorsport fame. Back in the day, I worked for a place called Model Flight when I was a kid, and um, every year when the Formula One was on, uh, Ed and Senna used to come to town and he'd come and um, he'd fly planes with the boss of the, where I worked. And I remember I built this killer biplane for him, spent weeks building this thing. He came in, got the intro to him and said day, and, and then they all went out and flew planes. And uh, the next day the plane came back in a box in a thousand pieces. <laughs> so he, uh, yeah. Oh, it was uh, it was pretty good in the car, but uh, yeah, let's just say I don't know if I put him behind the uh, the uh, steering wheel in the plane. That's for sure. <laughs> that's cool. That's really cool because I use Model Flight right now for my RC stuff because they're a great shop and they look after you and quick delivery and everything. But um, yeah, Anton was known for playing around, wasn't he? So I knew a few guys back in the day who he would hang out with and do fun hobbies and want to go out 
driving in the streets and just do normal people stuff when he was around. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, he was a super nice guy. Like, you know, really happy to have a chat when he came in. And, um, yeah, it was definitely, uh, you know, it was sort of years later, I think, when he actually realised who he was at the time. It was, you know, you're a kid and you didn't really think about it too much. But, um, yeah, definitely a legend, that's for sure. Um, so, yeah, then really from that, um, I actually got a uh, RX3 coupe. Um, ran a 13B Bridgeport in it, so you guys would know the car pretty well. Which um, uh, was originally oh, uh, Tony Wallace had it, with Mick Poser. Um, oh Poser yeah, right. Now. Yeah, um, cool. So yeah, originally I bought that from Victoria. It was I can't remember the guy's name, but it was a guy in Victoria that ran it as a club car back then, um, and it had a half cage in it, uh, just some Weber carbies on it, um, and uh, that was sort of how we got started. Wow, you, so you then, are cool. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's one of my favorite cars. They're awesome. What an awesome, yeah. what an awesome thing. And and it would have been right in the prime where rotaries were, you know, the car to have. Yeah, definitely. And look, we ran a pretty low budget back then. I mean, we, um, you know, just had a well, Needham gearbox that always used to break in the thing. And this was sort of back in 98, 99. And I remember we got to go to the 99 was the last year of the two litre touring cars at Bathurst. Um, an IP or back then it was club cars got a gig and yep. um, you know I distinctly remember rocking up to that place um, in awe of the place and I'd actually done a really bad injury just before we went and I, I tore a groin and I could hardly walk and um, the boys took the car through scrutineering for me and um, and uh, I was like oh, I don't you know, I don't think we can race but we'll just go out and do a lap on you know practice and see what happens anyway I drove out on, on the form-up lap didn't even feel my groin um, until the end of it, came back in about 20 minutes afterwards. I'm like, oh, that's right. I can hardly walk again. <laughs> uh, the boys thought I was putting it on all weekend just so I didn't have to do anything. <laughs> but but well, it, it was actually amazing. It showed me what adrenaline did. You know, yeah, just, exactly. Uh, you know, you were 10 foot tall and bulletproof. It didn't matter. Well, we definitely oh. met. We definitely have met before then because I was there. And I do remember it. I was working on a Formula Ford. Yep, and yep. my head was inside just about every RX3 and RX7 that was there. And I was watching the racing because Formula Fords just doesn't sound the same as, as <laughs> a group of rotors. And I remember watching, and I'm pretty sure it was brown in an orange yep. RX7. And then yep. might have been Marty Welsh in his red RX7 as well. But getting thumped by the Rainbow Warrior down, down Conrad. They That's they right, had him yeah. all over the top, and then by the time they got to the chase again, the Rainbow Warrior would be right back in front, just screaming down that straight. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool little thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. And yeah, that's when I was... fell in, fell absolutely in love with club cars at that meeting because I was working on, you know, front-running national um, Formula Fords. I think we got second or third on that weekend. You know, it was exciting, but I couldn't get – Cut my head from looking at all the club club cars and the different cars. It was still club cars back then, wasn't it? I don't think it was improved production. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was club cars yeah. back then. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just I was watching them in New South Wales, but to see them all together, I think. Um, yeah, it was yeah, like fifty-five really. cars on the grid. It was huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd seen uh, Wake, Wayne Wakefield and a few of the other guys come, and the Select Maz car from Victoria RX-7 come up yep. to Iron Park for a couple of big races, but it wasn't the same as Bathurst. That was just, wow, club cars is where it's at. This is great. They're on a good tyre. Everyone's on the same tyre. It's with lots of different rules and things you can play with. And Anyway, I think it's, that's great that you mentioned a race that really started my 
love and affection for this category. Yeah, yeah, we must have been around the same time because I remember racing against Wakefield as well in um, Darwin. I remember the first first year the supercars were in Darwin. I reckon we got a support category gig and um, we went up 98, 99 as well, I reckon both years. And, um, yeah, racing against that wagon was a pretty crazy thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty quick on a straight line, wasn't it? And oh, he definitely. was just loose, just yeah. loose. Yeah. Uh, around Lakeside, just with the front wheel through the kink, just the front left wheel just cocked all the way through. Just, yeah, could drive it, could push it hard. And obviously with that group of all laid cars, so they're all very good machines as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, no, that car eventually, I ran that for about, I don't know, maybe three years. Um, and then I changed it to 12-8 turbo setup with a restrictor. But I never actually ran it, and then I sold it to Tim Possingham, um, who you might know of. He's um, oh, done a fair bit of racing. I think he's in Porsches these days, but he's um, and organised a lot of motorsport events in Adelaide as well. Um, so he ran it before he sold it to um, Tony Walsh. But, um, yeah, and then I had a pretty big break. Um was probably a good oh, – um, well, I think I first did the Sprinter. Had a few streetcars and just a bit of – fun there but um had a fairly big break just with some work commitments and a few other family life type things that were uh, a bit chaotic um and then uh yeah had the sprinter uh, um which was actually a road car i had and i had it with a 13 b turbo in it um being a um bit of a rotor boy um i uh, yeah found this thing it was a drift car at the time and um had 13 b turbo in it so i picked that up went out did a track day at Malala. Lunch the engine, of course, being a rotor. <laughs> and, Had nothing um, to do with the right foot. Nothing at all. <laughs> no, no. It was actually a fair bit of all serves that day, but anyway. Uh, um, yeah. it's, uh, you know all so, about that, Mick? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was when the bug bit again, and I was like, all right, let's pull this rotor out. Let's get a three ass. And I've, I really looked at um, um, Lee Forrest's Celica. You know, for years that thing had been running as a, you know, great car, front-running thing. Um, and those 3S motors were pretty tough, so that's like, that, that's what led me towards the 3S. Put that in it, um, and that was sort of stage one, and that was 2009, uh, uh, I reckon we first logbooked that. Um, so, and then it's been a constant evolution ever since, really. So was it a Beams straight away? Uh, no, it's still not a Beams. It's a ST185, so the oh, right. sec- uh, second Gen, gen yeah. basically, yep. Um, you know, delete the TBS thing out of it. Um, they're they're a good good thing. You know, they're pretty strong factory cranks and everything. You know, we we don't run a fancy crank or anything in it. It's, um, yeah, obviously you sure forged. they're forged, aren't they? Yeah, I think they are the factory ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got a, yeah, we got a few in Dad Nice. We'll call it one workshop, but yeah, we've got a few threeses around. Yep. Yeah, so no, they're um, they're definitely a good thing. And then um, probably after about uh, maybe four years of running it, uh, you know, it got sort of stripped down and it got a bit more serious. So we, you know, upgraded brakes. Um, yeah, got a bit of weight out of it. Uh, we really still had it was really from when it first got a cage put in. It was basically a road car that still had all the sound deadening and everything on it. Um, so then it got a bit of a birthday and stripped back to a shell and. Um, like I said, everything from brakes to gearbox and the whole lot. We got a bit more serious, put a floater rear end in it. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's when it really started to pick up the pace a fair bit. Cool. And, um, well, I guess you've just run us through the next couple of questions I had for you, I guess, in relation <laughs> to the car. Um, yeah. in, term, in terms of the, the car setup, so you talked about 
um, giving you the birthday. And I guess the car, that was what, around 2014, 2015, Chris, was it? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, probably would be around then. Oh, we went and did Phillip Island. Uh, went over with Mark Reuter, actually, and he was running the RX3 back then, which was, you know, as a turbo set up, it was obviously front-running thing and um, running circles around us. And he, we actually shared a house that weekend and uh, with the two crews, and he'd look at the car and he'd sort of look at it and go, what's that on there for? What's that on there for? And he'd, he'd sort of pick all these things. I'm like, oh, well, I need this. It's struck brace and different bits and pieces. And it's like, no, you don't, no, you don't. And anyway, after the end of the weekend, we worked out how to get a heap of weight out of the thing. Um and, um, you know, that was when we, we sort of focused on getting weight out of it. Um, and, uh, and really that setup side of things, I think mm. the amount of times cars that, you know, they should be a good thing, but they just don't have basics of the amount of travel and suspension. And, you know, I'd never really looked at that too close. It was like, Hey, it's close enough. That'll do. Um, but then we actually started looking at, Hey, do we have enough bump and do we have enough droop, et cetera? Mm. Um, and get all that set up right. And you get the basics right. And all of a sudden the thing, Handles a hell of a lot better, surprisingly. Yeah. <laughs> it's stuff. almost like it's um, called getting the platform right or something. It's almost like it's a common engineering term in race cars, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And, you know, I, I drove another guy's car not that long ago. Um, and, you know, it's, it was straight away you got in it and it's like, oh, this thing's horrible. It just wants to kill you and throw you off the track. And um, you look at the back of it and it just had no suspension travel. So... Uh, it actually had bump stops in it, which we tore the bump stops out of the thing and went back out and drove it. And it was a second lap faster straight away. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it just, um, yeah, mm. sometimes it's just those real basic things that, you know, even myself originally overlooked. Well, until yeah. you know, you don't know to look for them. That's, no, the, that's, that's right. the beauty of learning more about things. You you have more questions, but you also, you, you can do things by eye because you just know exactly what you said Mark Ruder did to your car is you just know instant no-nos, you know, like mm. there might be a few things that need tuning, but there's some standout things. And uh, yeah, suspension travel is definitely on the list of uh, no <laughs> needing to have. And if you've got none, then yeah, that's, that's just crazy. How did, how did anyone drive that? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, you know, and, and look, even in that particular case, that was that car, I'm not going to say it was, but that car was built by a shop that, you know, that's what they do and they take a lot of money for doing it. Um, you know, so sometimes you're surprised that you can go somewhere and pay a lot of money. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get the best setup. Um, yeah. You know, and um, uh, there's a guy I've used not that long ago, which was Rick Kemp, um, who's been unbelievably good on that side of things. And, and one of the biggest things I liked about Rick is he didn't just want to take my money. Um, you know, he actually looked at the suspension I had and the shocks I had in it. And um, he's like, we well, actually, you know, what you've got is pretty reasonable. Um, they needed to freshen up, but, um, you know, it was like, I, I can take 12, 13 grand off you and do a set of shocks and everything for it, but he goes, you don't need to spend that. Um, yep. You know, so, um, yeah, and he's he's put another set of shocks in just conies in the front of it these days, race conies, adjustable, but, um, you know, a very reasonable price and, um, yeah, been doing a really good job. Great. Um, so what does the car do well and what does it still maybe need some work in, in terms of how it drives. I mean, you know, when, when, when you see the in-car footage, it looks like it's glued to the track, but, you know, as a driver, you'd know, you know, what its strengths and weaknesses are. And I don't know if you want to talk too much about that, but, you know, from your perspective, maybe, you know, what would you still like to improve on the car, I guess? Yeah, look, as you know, they're, they're a never-ending sort of evolution. You're always thinking, how do I make it go faster? And um, what can I do to do that? Um, it's, um, 
it's funny, a, a good friend of mine who's Clint Faustman, who actually does all the tuning and that on my car, and who I originally met years ago when I first took that RX3 out for my first race meeting. We both turned up for our first race meeting together, and he had an RX3 four-door with a 30 turbo in it, which he's still got, and he's going to bring back out NSA this year. So, Clint, cool. if you're listening, get your button to gear and get it out there. Yeah, um, <laughs> But, um, yeah, he... Um, you know, unbelievably helpful guy, but he's really good with his, his journey. And we, we actually set it up with like the boosting gears not that long ago. And um, it's funny, I'd drive it and I'd come back in and I'd say, like, it's not angry anymore. Like, and he's like, yeah, well, that's the idea. We, you know, make it a bit easier to drive. And uh, I'm so used to driving it sort of angry, as we put it. So I'd come back in and go, make it angrier. So <laughs> get rid of the boosting gears and, and, you know, if you watched a bit of the footage from my clips and that sort of thing, like the thing's sideways pretty easily. Um, you know, they make 550, 600 newton metres of torque. Um, it's, yeah, it's just a little animal of a thing to drive, which is what I love. You know, if it doesn't scare me, I sort of like, oh, you know, what are we doing? Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, that's what I like about early model cars. You know, they're overpowered, undertired. The late model stuff, definitely with the 18s and the bigger rubber and, you know, they'll behave a bit nicer. Um, but, um, you know, to me, I don't think they're as fun to drive, that's for sure. Mm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. No, I think both Mick and I would have to agree with you as early yeah. model. Yeah, it's sure. a different. It's a it's a totally different strategy in the build and how you drive it. Like an, a late model car yeah. is beautiful on its first and second lap, and then for the rest of the race, you're trying to drive it so it still stays that good. Whereas mm. an early model car, you're facing the sky half the time. You you know it's it's loose. You actually feel like you're driving it. Yeah, it's yeah. You get a bit of tire sidewall moving as well as the suspension moving. It's yeah, I think they're they're a much fun car to build and to drive. Tends to reward effort, doesn't it? I mean, you know, yep. driving and set up and build. I mean, you know, I'm not laying crap on late model drivers at all. Um, you know, but I came from Prod Sports and MX5s, which are just, you know, beautiful around corners, stop well, do everything well, but mm. we never had much much power. And so it was all about maintaining momentum and, you know, making sure that, you know, you could keep the speed up and always being in the right gear, whereas with the early model car, you, know, you had to you had to push, you had to scare scare the crap out of you. But yeah. you know you had to overcome that and and find find the lap speed and and will yourself to get there. Um, you know, in the face of danger and fear and <laughs> you know tr just trying to trying to learn the limits of the car because there's just so much power on tap and you know dealing with turbo lag if it's if it's turbo or you know and and you know the, then the small tire and just not having much grip so yeah i mean I, I agree it's it's i guess it's part of what makes ip racing great isn't it that completely different way of making lap speed and seeing the cars on the track at the same time where they make their lap speed and how then you know that affects racecraft and the outcome of the event so Definitely. yeah, yeah. And, and that's what's awesome about ip is because of all the different cars you know, like my thing, coming back to what you're saying, what it does well, like it powers down really well, it brakes really well. Um, you know, it's high speed um, stability is probably not as good as obviously some of the late model stuff. But, um, you know, that's where you get those strengths and weaknesses. And I think that creates a lot of overtaking and, um, you know, different tracks sort of definitely suit, you know, particular cars more. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it definitely always makes it exciting, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I guess uh, while we're on that point, I'll, I'll jump forward a couple of questions now. Um, hmm. 
some of your races in IP, while we talk about the car and, and I guess its strengths and weaknesses and what it does well and what it doesn't, can you, I guess, talk about some events and drives maybe that stand out to you as your most memorable and, and why were they memorable for you? Like, you know, we've seen some in-car footage and we would have seen some, you know, footage of your Clipsal and other big events. But but for you as a driver, which ones yeah. stand out? Um, yeah, obviously, look, the, probably the, the biggest one people would have seen is the, the yeah, Labour Clipsal 500 one. Um, that was, you know, pretty cool. Um, that weekend was, uh, I felt a bit of pressure, like I was... With New Line, like the work side of things, I was actually on the organising committee. Um, I was, you know, running the car as well. Like, I couldn't have possibly taken on more for one weekend. Um, yeah. So, definitely by the time we got to actually getting in the car and going on track, you're just like, please just go well. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think I came around, race I was, race two, I think, and I came around, I got up on the curb too much coming out of turn seven and nearly put the thing in the wall, a big tank slapper. Um, and I was in second or something at the time, I think, and I dropped back to sixth or seventh maybe. Um, and that's where Geordie got out front and just bolted. He was gone. Um, and, you know, it took me quite a few laps to catch him. Um, and by the time I caught him, I'd used up the tyres pretty hard. She was sliding all over the place. And, um, yeah, obviously we had a pretty ding-dong battle. Um and uh, yeah, to obviously end up getting in front of him at the end was was good. I mean, he mate, he shouldn't be anywhere near us really in that under two liter car, but that thing was just ridiculously fast under two liter car. I mean, you know, he basically he was well, he was second, wasn't he? So he was in. I was the only one that managed to get in front of an under two liter car. It was incredible, really. He's, he keeps the momentum up because he drives it like a like a fast Formula Ford kid, you know. Like if you put if you put the front ten guys out of Formula Ford or any other you know, front-running young guys with, with that much determination, they'll all be just as fast and they'll all look just as special. It's just in our category, Geordie stands out because there's not many kids trying to do that. Until now, we've got Zach. Zach Hudson's the same sort yeah, of, correct. you know, yep. quality driver and he's looking just as special because, honestly, most IP guys aren't race drivers. They're, they're people who like cars and they like racing cars, but they're not you know, bred racing drivers. There's a big difference if you've ever been close to that sort of pedigree, then you'd know the difference and how hard you push every single corner. Like that, like both Geordie and Zach will be on the limit and their room of error on the track will be within an inch, you know, 25 millimetres mm. from every spot they wanted to hit to the actual spot they hit would be 25 mil, like max. Whereas most drivers in IP, you're looking at probably a foot you know, like it, if in reality, if you measured it on the track, the differences you do every single lap through the corner, you'd probably be a foot from your widest line to your to your narrowest line. And that's the best of the most IP drivers. But these Jordan Cox, Zach Hudson and or anyone else that is a, you know, top dog, high pedigree style driver, they're hitting within yeah. an inch every single lap of the same mark. And that's how they can push harder. And that's why they look special. Apart from that, that Honda is actually pretty fast. A lot of people forget <laughs> before before Geordie owned it, it was a national championship winning car. And yeah, at Wayfield, I remember that. But before that, it was one of the first front-wheel drive Hondas to be built in my memory of following the class after... Um, yeah, Luff, Warren Luffy. Luffy, yeah. that's right. When Luffy, when Luffy drove the Mirage Cup car, when they let him into improved production in New South Wales... So as fast as as Jowett in his, you know, wide 
whatever Cosworth, YB Cosworth engine escort that he had, mm. you know, and these little things were that fast because they realized corner speed, a good platform and a good driver makes up for a lot more than just an engine. So, yeah. you, you know, that's what changed. And, and that Civic has been developed from back in the early 2000s, late 90s, all the way through to when Geordie got it. So it already was a fast car. Mm, and then definitely. and then Geordie got in it and I believe that they did a little bit of suspension work as well and maybe put some more modern suspension in it and maybe some different shocks and he made it even more suited to his driving style. It might not have been faster with another driver, but it definitely was with Geordie in it. And as you mentioned, it was looking like an Overs car really, wasn't it? It was. It's a rocket. And it was impressive. Not anyone that I know would ever say that wasn't impressive. Like it was, it was pretty awesome watching it fight you. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was sure. great racing. Great to watch. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it was. That was definitely probably the highlight of you know one of the races where he got out. It was just like a massive buzz, um, especially to go there. You know, I, unfortunately we don't get a gig again at Adelaide 500 at the moment, but it was pretty cool to go there. Um, especially growing up in Adelaide, you know, we've seen so many events there. So, um, yeah, that was that was probably the biggest one to tick the box. I mean, the thing I love about car racing is anywhere you go and you get a chance to go racing, it's awesome. Um, you know, so to get to go to places like Bathurst as well a few times now and have a crack there, and um, we've had some pretty cool ones at Bathurst. We did one, I think it was maybe 16, where we did an engine, first lap of the first race, Um Good old Conrad, we spat a Conrad down Conrad and um, <laughs> went off into the sand trap because we put oil on the rear tyres and, um, you know, I, um, we did actually take a spare engine over with us and, um, you know, we nearly, we didn't have that much time and I'm like, oh, this is just not going to happen and anyway, about eight or ten guys helping later, um, it was the fastest <laughs> engine change we've ever done, we had ten guys probably working on it in two hours, we had the engine changed and I'm driving down to form up sort of shaking my head going, how did that just happen? Um, and uh, then we started 55th and we got to sixth place or something in eight laps, I think it was. That was um, a phenomenal drive. There's video of that on YouTube, isn't there, Chris? Yeah, there is. Yep, yep. Um, and, and, and that was just, um, yeah, that was the biggest buzz. And I think once I got about halfway through the field, you sort of would be thinking, oh, you know, I can't see anyone down the road too far. And sure enough, like half a lap later or not even, you bang on someone again and another one and another one. And, um, yeah, we uh, – and I think actually um, uh, Kyle Organmore, um, Commodore spat oil all the way down Conrod on about the last lap or one before, I think. Um, and that was the meeting where Ray came together with one of the RX-7s. Um, yeah. And they both went into the sand trap as well and – um, I think we had a couple more BMWs in that right in front of me and it was like oil and my going around the outside of them. <laughs> I preserved the car and tucked back in behind, but I was pretty happy to get to where we did after, yeah, um, not doing any laps basically at all in the first race. So, Would you classify that as your best drive, Chris? I mean, it was great to watch. I've watched that video many times and it's always puts a smile on my face. Yeah, I think so. It's purely on the amount of cars we passed and, and um, you know, from – going from zero sort of thing to right back up there, you know, it was, was just awesome. Uh, yeah. He got out of the car and everyone was pumped. Everyone that came and, and helped. And, um, you know, we literally had, you know, I had about four, four or five guys there with me, but just random people as well that would help, you know, to get the car back out. And even when we fired it up at the pits, you know, everyone down pit lane all cheered. <laughs> it was like, hey. yeah, it's cool. So, um, <laughs> and that's what I love about the IP community. Like if you break something, if you have an issue, 
generally everyone on the pit lane will do anything they can to help you. You know, even years ago, I remember Dave Cheatham in Darwin gave me a gearbox when I blew a gearbox up. And um, he said to me, the only catch is you can't pass me. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, later on in that race, as I was going past him, (laughs) I did think that as I passed him. I'm like, sorry, buddy. (laughs) But, uh, but, yeah, it was pretty cool that, you know, your competitor will give you a gearbox. Like, um, yeah, I don't think there's too many categories like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was pretty cool. So, look on that on that point. Maybe you can talk us through what racing IP in South Australia is like in the moment. How how is the category in South Australia, and you know the quality of the cars, the the drivers, the racing size of fields, new cars coming. I mean, as an EO, you might know a little bit about the pipeline. Can you t- talk to, talk us through the health of the category in in South Australia? Yeah, look, it's it's probably had a little bit of a low, and I think the last couple of years it's starting to come back again now. And even the club, you see at the club meetings, there's more guys there. Um, we, I think the couple of years where we did run Adelaide 500 were really good, but it also sucked a lot of budget out for a lot of guys. Um, and then you would find a bit like Rido, who, like you said, damaged his Commodore at, um, Adelaide. And then, you know, it takes them a long time before they get the car back out again. Um, so, I mean, that was from memory about two and a half grand entry fee, something like that. Whereas most people at local rounds are somewhere around the five to eight hundred dollar mark. You know, so it's just a big chunk, I think, for people to go and do those sort of marquee type events. You know, since then, we've, with the band opening up as well, um, that's been awesome track and that side of things. And, and especially for the, the lead up to the Nationals, I think a lot of guys made sure they got out and had a run. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's also sucked up a bit of money. You know, you've roughly, and I'm not criticising the band at all because it's an awesome facility. It's just the fact is you got to pay for that. So, mm. you know, entry fees goes up quite considerably. Um, so this year we've actually put forward four out of the five state rounds to actually only run four for the championship, um, which yep. that's gone to the uh, MRAP, I think, at the moment. So we're just waiting on hearing back as to whether or not, you know, they accept that or we have to do all five. Um, and reason behind that is just to try and condense the, the – you know, and get a few more guys out to meetings. Um, now, a few years back, we were sort of mid-20s for most grids. Um, and last year, we definitely struggled. Um, and, again, probably no disrespect, you saw that in results, but to Adam Trimmer, for instance, who won the championship in an under-two-litre car. And really, did he have the fastest car? No, but he turned up and did all the race meetings. Um, yep. You know, so the likes of Adam Paul, Andy Sarandis, myself, a few others, you know, we didn't turn up and do all the meetings. So... Um, yeah, we can only beat who's there. So hats off to him. He did a great job and, and took it out. But, you know, that sort of gives you an idea of where it's been the last couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. This year, I think you'll definitely see there's already a fair bit of committed guys to come back out and have a, a proper go again this year in SA. Um, and like I said, as a club, we're going to do things like we're putting the 500 bucks up for rookie of the year. So if you're a new guy, you know, you can win some money. There'll be another thousand dollars per round as well. So really, it just encourages people to come out, have a crack. Um, we all do it because we love racing, but hey, if there's a bit of a bonus of you know you can get something for coming out as well. Um, mm. Hopefully, we can drag a few of those cars out of sheds as well because there's plenty of them here, as as you guys know. I'm sure in your in New South and everywhere else, there's way more cars and sheds than actually on the track. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. got one of them. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess you know what impressed me about South Australia is, um, you know, there are a lot of really fast cars in South Australia too. I mean, 
there's obviously yourself, Andy, you've got Adam Poole, you've got, mm. um, I guess, until recently, had Max's green 808, but I'm not sure. Yeah. He's been talking about a later model platform, so he's probably building something up. I know he's pretty yeah, tight-lipped think- about it. So Cook, he's got a Scott Sylvia. Cook. I could Scott be wrong, Cook. but yeah, Scott Cook's been unbelievably good in that Sylvia. Yeah, that record holder yeah. in here at the bend now. Yeah, he is. Yep, yep. Um, so and yeah, that's awesome. been really good. Um, Andy Still... and Evo actually got the even though it wasn't officials in practice, he got the record at Mallard not long ago as well. Um, so um, I'm sure he'll be out at round one to try and make it official. Yeah. yeah, lots of quick cars, and and uh, there's probably a couple we're forgetting too, like Grant Maitland's quick, and obviously the Magnus. Uh, yeah, uh, Mick's a big fan, so uh, yep. you know some 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 pretty impressive cars down there, and it would be nice to see, I guess, all the quick cars or a lot of the quick cars on the grid for you know a solid season, um, and and if it's a four round championship, maybe that might um, incentivize people to get out for those rounds, and yeah, it'd be good. Yeah, I think so because once you chuck in nationals towards the end of the year, like that's where I think. You know, obviously budgets disappear pretty quick. If people want to go do that, they quite often sacrifice state rounds. So, um, you know, hopefully just condensing that slightly or, uh, you know, get some good fields to all the events. Um, and I think, well, like I said, there's a lot of guys really keen to come out and have a good crack again this year. So, um, yeah, no, it should be good. Cool. Um, Make the Bend, you talked a little bit about it. Uh, Mick and I have speculated, and maybe you can uh, correct us or, or support us or at least give us your views. Ben seems to have changed the philosophy of racing in South Australia. It was always, or at least, you know, the perception outside of South Australia has been that it's been an early model turbo sort of state. Paradise. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and yep. that's that's changing. Mate, I'm interested to hear your views on that. What, what are your thoughts? And do you think the Ben's had something to do with that? Yeah, I definitely think it's a contributing. So there's a couple of things that contributed. I mean, Mallow is a point and squirt. You know, you got to power down well and you need good brakes. Um, so, you know, Wait. whereas the Benz... Lighter the Benz weight's about, better. Yeah, exactly. Lighter weight's better. I mean, yeah, it's pretty simple. If you've got a couple hundred kilos more and you've got to accelerate that and stop it, it's not going to be as easy. You know, whereas the Bend... And I have to admit, even the Nationals, when it was here, I was a bit surprised myself as to... Um, I was actually on the organising committee that year and I, I didn't run, you know, which um, was a bit of a bugger, but, you know, you can't do everything. Um, and it it showed me, though, that I thought the V8s would be a lot more dominant there. But, um, you know, I mean, Scott Cook did an unbelievable job to get on the podium at the end. Um, you know, it really that back section is all about corner speed and flow. Um, so the V8s were dominating if you just look at those front three, and that's because they've got corner speed too because they're a full V8 package. I think what the point is is that all the what we'd call term a missile, so Mm. like your South Australian Eldridge Black Tirana, which is 50Ks an hour faster than just about everything else (laughs) around it down the straight, for the same lap time I'm talking, but it couldn't keep in front, whereas tracks like Phillip Island and Eastern Creek for some reason, they the tyres get enough of a cool down or the way that the corners are on those tracks, the mm. rocket ships down the straight can hold the faster corner speed cars at bay. At the bend, they can't. There's too many opportunities we can get a run on them and corner speed is king. I found, I was surprised about on Friday, it was only Friday, but how reasonably competitive my Mazda was and it wasn't that fast down the straight just because it was actually set up pretty well for the track and I could hold very good corner speed on a few corners and yeah. I, I was 
same exactly what you said. I expected everyone with big horsepower to be able to keep in front and do good lap times, but they just couldn't at the bend. It's it sorts them out. There's the way that the flow of the track is and the differences between stop go and floating corners, like the five apex right handers all down through the, the back of the hill. Like that really sorts yeah. out the chassis cars compared to the horsepower cars. Yeah, correct. I mean, I watched um, Anthony Norris, I think it was, spin off in his little 1200 coupe through there and those right handers because, yeah, that thing's a great little car for a Malahar and point and squirt. But then flowing through there at speed, it's a pretty snappy little thing. And even you saw Geordie was running the 1200 in unders um, of Simon's um, yeah, yeah. Datsun. And the thing was the same when you look at the in car footage, it was just an absolute handful of a thing through there. Um, so, yeah, I think that, like you say, that's definitely lending towards the later model cars. I mean, if you look at both, um, probably that last meeting was Andy and um, Cookie were sort of punching it out up front. Um, Pooley wasn't there in the Monaro, but, um, you know, they were going, you know, as quick or quicker than what he was going previously. So, um, yeah, they definitely, I think the tracks definitely got better as well. Um, you know, Throw it in a bit. Yeah. yeah, like, uh, you know, on the Miller side of things, we did a bit with Todd Hazelwood this year, and I was talking to him about it, and he was saying, remarkably, when the Supergar guys turned up for the, you know, the second time there, they all just found it way better, way grippier. Um, you know, yeah, it obviously has settled in a bit. And, and um, so, uh, yeah, I think you've seen that in the lap times as well. And it's a big lap, so I think everyone's also, professional guys obviously get it pretty quick, but in IP, I think, you know, um, it takes a while for people to, to work out all those little um, little bits and pieces they need to do to get a lap time. The, at the Nationals, a group of us New South Wales pretend wannabe racers went down there. And, um, yeah, one of the, the comments over beers and barbecue that night was, got halfway around the track and it's like, am I still on the racetrack? Like, yeah. have we have we turned down the wrong street? Because where are we, you know? <laughs> when are we getting back to where we started? It's just such a long lap with so many turns. It's very hard to fathom it until you've driven it because we would consider a 10 or a 12-turn track quite a long track, like, like Sydney Motorsport Park or Phillip Island. But it was, yeah. what, 18? 18 turns, is it? I can't remember. Yeah, it's I think it is. I think it's about 18, yeah. And that's yeah, a, it's, it's half as big again. Yeah. Yeah. There obviously is a bigger track as well in that 7.7 car, I think it is, but not that we've ever run on that. Um, yeah, I've only done a handful of laps around there myself. We uh, went up there for the last round and I had a – yeah, we did the Friday practice and we only did a couple of sessions and then – I had an issue with valves in the head, which we've never had before. It's a bit of an unusual one. So, um, yeah, that's uh, came apart and didn't get to didn't get to play anymore that weekend, unfortunately. Okay. But uh, it's definitely a pretty cool track. I was, yeah, loved that back section. It was awesome. Um, Chris, who's impressed you in IP around the country? Like, uh, who do you think's doing a good job driving, setting up their car? Who's built something special? Who's engineering well? Is there anyone in particular that sort of stands out to you as someone who's sort of punching above their weight? in IP at the moment? Um, look, I think there's quite a lot of the guys. Look, locally, you know, I think Scott Cook's probably um, the guy that for, for the equipment he's got under him and the, the money and that they put into it, I think he's doing exceptionally well. Um, in IP, as you guys probably see, I think there's two very different types of guys. There's the guy that's got a fair bit of cash and, and you look at someone like Ray, for instance, and over the years, unfortunately for Ray, he's probably got a bit of that tall poppy syndrome. Um where and I think hats off to Ray, he's just done a 
more professional job than most people. If you look at him at a mm-hmm. race meeting, he turns up with a suspension technician. They quite often will do a private practice on it, you know, not long before a nationals race meeting. They go through different sets of springs. They do a heap of different testing and it's all data logged and it's, it's semi-professional um, versus... You know, I know, like, when we go to the track and you look at the guys, it's like, who's checking the car? And they look back at me and it's like, you are. Um, yeah. You know, so, <laughs> you know, and your mates are great. They come and help you. But it's a very different level. You know, you're not paying people to be at the track. Whereas if you look at some of the people in IP, um, and not just Ray, there's quite a few where, you know, guys are, are paying people to be there and help them and down look at the data. And, and they're the guys that do a better job quicker. Um mm. So versus, you know, the ones that are there to have fun, enjoy themselves and, hey, well, we finish a bit higher up, that's a bonus. Yeah, I think, you know, there's quite a few. Like, obviously, Zach's the new young fella that's done exceptionally well in that car. Like you see, he's a bit like a Geordie. You can obviously steer. Very capable. They've got good equipment. You know, they clearly have got reasonable reasonable pockets to make sure it's got the good gear in it. Um and and I'm sure exactly. Actually, I did listen to the podcast with Zach. Obviously, you know, they look at the data and, you know, uh, they analyse all that and go back out. It's not guesswork, whereas I'm sure you guys have seen plenty of guys that it is guesswork. They go out and mm. have a crack and, um, you know, they're, they're not playing on the same level. So th- that's probably the difference in IP, but that's the beauty of it too. Um, you know, you can take it as serious as you want or you can um, have some fun and go racing with your mates. Yeah, sure. So, Chris, you're an EO in South Australia now. Um How's that going? And I guess uh, one of the things I, you know, I know it's an interesting job. I've had a, a chat with a couple of EOs during, I guess, my time in IP. And there's always an interesting story or two. Um, I guess, how are you finding being an EO in South Australia? And have you come across anything interesting that you could share, not giving away any secrets, but um, uh, anything that you've seen uh, during your time as an EO that's uh, been interesting? Um, yeah, look, fortunately, the EO stuff, I've helped out with it. I'm great, mate, when I think it's actually our official one these days, and I've sort of stepped back from that. Last year or two work-wise has been a bit crazy. So after the Nationals or at the Bend, I sort of stepped away from that side of it a bit. Um, in saying that, I'm still pretty around what's going on, and quite often we'll talk about different cars and what we think's right or not right. Um, it's funny, it's that old word interpretation. So, um, you know, the amount of things that you'll look at and someone's like, well, this is my interpretation of it. Um, so the rule book's never as black and white as what you would think it is. Uh, I think that's always the bit that I find interesting. And, you know, but in overall, the vast majority of people, even when we did at the Bend and there was what, over 100 cars there for that Nationals, there was really hardly a problem with anything, you know, and the things that we did find were very minor. Um, you know, it might have been... Uh, where well, they should have had trimming on an interior that they didn't or um, not massive performance gains or, you know, um, not people with no restrictors or, you know, anything stupid yeah. sort of thing. I think as a whole, everyone's intention is, you know, to play by the rules. And that that's where a little while ago, I know the, with the rules, there was a few pushing to have traction control on that allowed because the argument is people go, well, we can't actually govern it. And we don't go and look into ECUs and see if it's set up. And there's all sorts of um, uh, what they call it, talk mapping and all that sort of things now that can be set up. And realistically, as an EO, you're never going to find that on, you know, at IP level. I, so, I actually, I'll jump in there. So the issue yeah. is the difference between dynamic traction control and static mm-hmm. traction control, or any sort of control. So yeah. dynamic is that you're getting information from the car 
so telemetry, what we've called as telemetry in the rule book. So that's yep. easy to police because so, you can tell, yep. you know, what's going on and if there's any RF coming back. Well, not easy, but, you know, you can find it. The yep. other thing that's crept in that is an arguable point is using your GPS map to then map the engine off that. So the argument is it's still static because it's information that's on board on the car, but then you can change, predetermine how much, like if you want to change the maximum torque of your engine by ignition curves or whatever you want to do, it'll boost yep. in certain sections of the track to try and help you get lap time. And I think that's what a lot of people were saying you can't tell because that could be, you have to go into the program to see that. and. Yeah, I'd, uh, even though that I'm trying not to be technical here, but I think that the we're relying on people adhering to the culture of the category and the fact that they don't want to do that stuff because is it any different to them managing their right foot better through the corner anyway? You know what I mean? As long as they don't have that dynamic control of the engine and or anything in the car, then it's legal. I think yeah. that's where the, yeah. the where it stopped, right? Yeah, and, and look, I'm... You know, and like I said, that was the argument for some people say, oh, we should just allow because you can't, you know, control it anyway. But personally, I think the category is great without traction control. It's, and more often than not, most people will do the right thing. Um, if someone doesn't want to, well, there's plenty of ways if they don't want to do the right thing, they can now. Um, but I think most of the people in the category do do the right things other than it's an interpret, And that's what I'm saying as a PO when you look at stuff. It's usually just been an interpretation mistake should we call it than a deliberate hey I'm, i think i can get away with this um so yeah i think that's what's good like i said most guys the heart's in the right place and um you know i remember even way back when i brought my car out for the first time louis was uh the o he came around looked at a couple of things he goes oh mate the wing can't be like this and, blah, blah, blah. and i'm like oh okay like i just um you know obviously didn't quite get a couple of things in the rules but you're like yeah, yeah that's cool when you change it and um you know it's all good um so uh, yeah that's what i think is really good about the category is everyone's you know their heart's in the right place no. that is good if you just get not warned but you know you got advised that this is how it should be and you shouldn't have what you've got you know make sure you don't turn up next time with it yeah yeah exactly it's not it's different okay you turn up for a nationals and you've got something blatantly obvious it's shouldn't you know um, fair enough, you, you get pinged for it, but at a state round, if something's not quite right, it's hey, this is not quite right, you need to change this or this. Um, and because predominantly, we don't want to see cars go home and not come back to the track. Um, yep. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, there was one a while back with a tunnel that was, you know, obviously a fabricated tunnel. And, you know, the guy did it in the best of intentions. He bought an aftermarket replacement thinking that he could run it, but. You know, it, it really looked nothing like the original tunnel. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, so again, it's it's more a case of hey, misinterpreting what they can do than than a blatant cheat. I think so. No, it's, it's, I think it's really good as far as that goes. <laughs> People out there that you know um, all have their their ideas, but nah, it's, I think when you actually start looking at cars, it's pretty good. I was going to say minor reshaping. I got a lesson in minor reshaping from uh, someone while I was building my car and what that means. So. Yeah, I think um, fabricated tunnel might not quite uh, meet that definition. But anyway. No, exactly. He was told, hey, you should probably change that, I think. Yeah, so. I like to think that if someone has blatantly cheated, that even if they do have a successful win, they don't feel like they did. I would hope to think that. Because if mm. you know that you've done something that you've 
that means that you've got an actual advantage over anyone else in that category. You shouldn't feel like you beat them because you didn't, yeah. your car did, you know? So yeah, I, I hope that IP is at that amateur enough level that, and with the camaraderie that you speak of, uh, we all want to help each other and we all want everyone to have a good race and have a good time that no one wants to go home feeling like they didn't actually earn that. No, that's yeah, not. for sure. Yeah. Thanks for that, Chris. Oh, that's interesting. Um, mate, future plans. So I'm guessing you're sticking with IP. What are your racing plans for the next year and maybe beyond? Yeah, well, clearly at 45, unless I want to be the oldest rookie ever in supercars, um, that's not going to happen. So, um, yeah, look, IP's made, for me, that's a manageable thing. Um, you can have some fun. Um, uh, as a lot of us at our age, we've got young kids and that sort of thing, so it's hard to find time to go play with race cars. But, um, yeah, I'd love to um, do more of what I'm doing. Try and, uh, look, the last two years haven't been as much for me. I, um, you know, would like to have done some more race meetings. We were meant to race in Tassie for the Nationals, but that didn't quite work out with some work commitments. So uh, a bit more of the same, really. Um, get back to, you know, have a good run at, at the bend. I've still not done a race meeting there, so we'll get there for the, uh, the next race meeting coming up there, which will be good. Um, looking forward to having a crack at that place. Uh, definitely the Nationals for 2020 as well. I've already put that on the calendar for the wife <laughs> at home. And Very said, good. I won't, I won't be around that weekend. So, Very good. Um, Your car's yeah. going to be a jet up there. Yeah. So, yeah, I was just sending a bit of video footage of that place, and it, it looks like a cool little track, like just a good technical little track. Um, you know, obviously, I think every car looks like it's, got its chance there to be pretty good like obviously the v8s yeah. are still good there you know the four drive evos would be good there um so i think it'll be make for a really good race meeting yeah it should do the only thing that might hurt you is the um hot thin air so yeah it's surprising people think that with turbos but you know like even like the clips all when we had that there and it was like 38 degrees or something on one of the days like you now we don't have any overheating issues we the car's lucky to be at 80, 82 degree engine temp. Um, it doesn't really bother it, the hot weather. Um, admittedly, you make a slight bit more punch in middle of winter, but, um, yep. you know, it certainly doesn't affect the car greatly. Um, you know, Do when you think it's that that's hot, the uh, ethanol a lot helping that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fire's awesome. Um, yeah, it's the best thing we've had for a long time. Um, you know, switching to that fuel's been really good. So um, hopefully that's here for a long time to come. For sure. Do you do you run pumpy eighty five, Chris, or do you run it out of out of cans? Yeah, no, I do just a um, uh, United stuff. Um, we do. We originally when it first came out, I used to buy um, Scotcher in um, Adelaide here. Uh, they do their own where they, um, you know, comes out drums, so you know the quality of it. But you know, we uh, switched to just the United stuff a, a fair while ago with um, Clint. Obviously, like I said, with house tune the tuning side of things, never had any dramas. Um, Clint's always with my thing too. We don't push it that hard on the tuning. Like he always yeah. is a bit conservative, you know, we're not the biggest horsepower, but uh, you know, like an extra 10 or 15 kilowatts is not the difference. It's that overall package. Um, I mean, that's what we found anyway. So it's, you know, squeezing that last little bit out of it. But if we're popping engines and, you know, um, it soon loses its fun pretty fast when you're doing that. Yeah, for sure. It's, I only ask because I've had, uh, a lot of interesting conversations with turbo drivers recently, and there's a real um, divide uh, between some who, you know, sort of swear by 
just running the 85 out of a can and others who say, no, 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 you know, United is fine. It's always 85%. We've been running it for years, not a problem. And yeah, it's it's quite a a divide. So always interested to find out what others are doing with it. So, and and so you you are heading up for the nationals in 2020? Yeah, definitely. Yep. That's the plan. I've I've talked to a couple of boys who always help me, which is, um, so they're all keen to come up. So we'll, um, we'll be up there for sure to have a crack at that one. So um, Happy bring it on. we'll get in a few bend rounds before then and uh, probably local mallet. I'd, I'd love to come over to um, Eastern Creek for a round. I've, um, it's been one of those places. I've, we came there a couple of years ago and no, long story short, we had a, an issue, um, an oiling issue and uh, didn't didn't get more than a practice few laps in and towed the thing home, unfortunately. Um, okay. So, um, yeah, it's definitely one of those tracks I'd love to come back. I, I, years ago when the supercars, when we got a gig with them one year, I came over and ran. 2012 um, was it? Yeah, it must have been. Uh, like, yeah, the wrecker, the wrecker cars were here as well, weren't they? Yeah, yep, yep. Um, yeah, it was a really good field. Um, and my thing was a bit of a shocker that weekend. We had, I think, we had a diff issue, we had a gearbox issue, we had a misfire. <laughs> it was like, what else can go wrong with it? Um, uh, good old race cars, but um, yeah. So to actually come back there and you know just have a trouble free run would be awesome to get some laps under my belt there, and because um, it's a pretty cool track, that's for sure. Always welcome, mate. Yeah, yep. make sure you tell us so we know. Yeah, definitely. Yep, yep. So, yeah, well, I see, um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, between um, the Evos and obviously Geordie's got his new little thing over there that's with first meeting was pretty impressive. So, yeah, it'd be cool to come over and have a run. And I know Sir Andy Sarandis is pretty keen to come over as well because I think those Evo boys can have a play. Does, um, are they both running this year, the two Evos? So, the one of them's a bit bent. Still from the oh, nationals, that's right. nationals yeah. so it it is probably not going to make it till mid year. Is the word on the street, but without yeah. actually having Trev dedicate a time, and I don't know how hard he's working on it, but just mm. from talking to a few of the guys that talk to him, and as we said in the other episode, that Michael King is leasing his car this year, so I'm not oh, sure damn. if he's going to run it at all. Yeah, so he'll be racing two CR yeah. two this year, and love to have Kingy around. But you know, you know, he's been he's he's had a lot mm. of success recently in the category, and yeah, I think he's off to you know try something a little bit different. And yeah, yeah, yeah I'm not sure whether anyone's actually jumped at the opportunity to 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 have a run in his car this year. But I mean, if they could do a lot worse, it's very fast. So you, you I may say find... it's been hard not to give him a call. <laughs> just yeah. to find out if I could remortgage it, you know, just do one, <laughs> remortgage the house, just do one round, just to yeah. feel what it's like. But no, I, I, I really hope someone does get in it, and you know, maybe one of your South Australian boys wants to come up and try it. Yeah, you never know. Um, yeah, that definitely, um, definitely be a good thing to have a run in. That's if, for sure. If they're getting a free ride with you on the way up, <laughs> oh, that's right. And jump on board, yep. seats. So, uh, no, nah, so that's sort of the plan for this year, try and yeah, get back to doing a bit more. And, um, yeah, definitely, uh, like I said, the bend will be a good one to get up and have a proper crack at as well. Yeah, and the handful of laps we got around there, the thing was pretty good. So it's, um, yeah, looking forward to getting a few more. Happy days. Well, Chris, thanks again for your time, mate. Before we let you go, is there anyone you want to thank, uh, family sponsors, people who help with the car, friends? Uh, yeah, look, um, Dan Morgan, who's... Um, TC Race Fab in Adelaide here. He's an awesome guy. Helps out a lot with the car, you know, with the fabrication, but also on the race weekends, just giving his time. 
Um, same with Clint Faust, which is Faust tune. He's, you know, fantastic. Always, nothing's too hard for him. You know, he loves it. Um, comes away and loves playing on the, the laptop over the weekend and, and helping out with anything we need him to. So, um, yeah, that's been awesome. Um, obviously, the wife's always good to get the get, keep the kids busy so I can go play. But, um, and, uh, yeah, neil has been my long-term sponsor as well. It's been really good. Yeah, uh, I think we, we all need those uh, people that, like I said, there's not too many guys, I think, in IP that have sort of paid teams come out with them. It's, it's more your mates and, and friends around you that really, really dig deep and help you out. For sure. Well, Chris, how can people follow you? I know you've got a you've got a YouTube and a Facebook account. So, can you tell us how we can watch you racing? Uh, yeah. So, um, Facebook's the Chris Brown Motorsport. Um, same on Instagram, and uh, yeah, obviously just follow the um, Chris Brown Motorsport one. You'll find a link to the um, YouTube stuff. So, um, I'm getting better with the technology and starting to put some more. I only started that not that long ago, so um, starting to get a bit more content up there. So. Um, keep people up to date and uh, you know we probably majority this year got taken up a fair bit with after uh, damage at Bathurst took us a fair while to fix it but poor old Sprinty mm. took a pretty good hit into the concrete wall so bent rails and rears and all sorts so um, and they're just getting harder and harder to find panels for now yep yep well so. good stuff mate well I'm glad you've got it uh, straight and ready for the for the upcoming season and mate thank you so much for your time tonight we really wish you the best of luck for the season yeah, coming up and uh, mate we'll definitely well i We'll certainly be catching you in Morgan Park. Hopefully, Mick will be up there too. And uh, yeah, it'll be good to meet you in person. Yeah, fantastic. Look forward to it. Thanks very much, guys. And if not before, because uh, you're always welcome to come up to Sydney Motorsport Park or, or Wakefield if you're uh, if you're that way inclined and, and have a run with us. Yeah, yeah. No, that'd be awesome. Uh, no worries. Thanks very much, guys. So thanks again, uh, Chris and Mick. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Been awesome. And thank you to the listeners out there. Uh, thanks for your ongoing support. We really appreciate it. Thanks again to the volunteers, uh, everyone who supports IP committees around Australia. Thank you for your time and effort in putting so much time into the category. So we really appreciate that. And thanks to the racers out there. Uh, we need you to get out on track, though. Guys and girls, get your cars ready. Get them tidied up. You've still got time to get ready for round one and um, make a year of it so thank you and get working and get your cars out for 2020 once again good reminder to make sure you've renewed your club memberships and licenses so uh, if cams comes knocking or if worse still if you turn up to the first round and you don't have your club membership or your your license sorted then uh, they probably won't let you on track so uh, make sure you're looking at that now if you haven't already subscribe to future episodes both on facebook and on your favorite podcast app and thanks for joining us we'll catch you next time see you everybody